Well, welcome to Harvest Bible Church. I don't know if I see anybody new or not. Let me see. Let me look across and scope it out. <laughs> welcome. Uh, Pastor Mark is not here, as you can see. He is back at Winter Bible, back in Oklahoma. And um, he wanted to come back early, but all the flights were full. So he, he will be back Friday. So we got to pray for him because there's a storm moving in. So... Um, did y'all hear, you know, Greg was telling me that it's going to snow in Jackson, and it's snowing right now in Folsom. So, I know, right? I want to go build a snowman. So, um, anyway, uh, it's cold out there. So, but anyway, we want to pray that he, he makes it back. And um, th- there's no snow in Oklahoma, which is amazing. So, last time when he and I went, there was so much snow. It was, oh my goodness, it was so cold. But um, I stayed because um, I was supposed to have jury duty and I didn't get picked. So <laughs> hallelujah. <No. laughs> I, I always get picked for jury duty. I don't know. I, it's amazing. Um, but anyway, I am here tonight and so happy to be here and um, just love to worship the Lord. Amen. It's just oh, so good to be in his presence. And and so, um, I know, I think we do the offering at the end, so don't let me forget, Aaron, I'm putting you in charge of that. Don't let me forget to do offering. Wave your, your wallet at me or something. <laughs> Wave a hundred dollar bill at me. I don't even have a dollar in my purse. I, it's all credit cards, so, or uh, my ATM card. But Father, we thank you for tonight. <clears throat> We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. Oh, we thank you for your sweet presence in this house tonight. We thank you for your love for us tonight, God. Your love that's so great, so mighty, so wonderful, God. Thank you for loving us. And and thank you, God, that your word is truth. Your word is light. The, The Bible says that the entrance of your word brings light. And so, God, I thank you tonight that, Lord, that as we open the word of God, that it's going to bring light and revelation into our life, that it's life-giving, it brings us hope. God, your word instructs us, it teaches us, it changes us. And, Father, I thank you for your word that comes forth, that, Lord, you would just speak your heart to us, we your people, God. We are your sheep and you are our shepherd. And we yield to you tonight, Father, that you would just declare and speak your heart so lovingly and so so firmly to us tonight as, as our Father and as our Shepherd, God. We just pray that we have ears to hear and a heart to receive all that you want to speak to us, God. You prepare for us a banqueting table tonight, God, and, and we want to be hungry and we want to receive. So in Jesus' name, we thank you for it, Father, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and um, I was praying, you know, about what the Lord wanted to uh, speak to our hearts tonight, and I kept hearing um, the phrase the Lord was speaking to my heart is, do you know the value of your soul? Do you know the value of your soul? And so I, I want to talk tonight about the soul. That soul is um, can also be called your heart. It's the seat of your emotions, your mind, your will, your emotions, the heart. Um, your soul is eternal. 
So it's going to follow you up or down. <laughs> your soul will be caught up into heaven or your soul, we'll see tonight, um, can be taken into hell. So how are you treating your soul? How are you investing in your soul? Yes, amen. And this is the thing that the Lord wants us to really, really take to heart because I want you to, to do a, an inner check as how am I treating my soul? You know, um, a, lot of, a lot of people are very, very firm about buffing their body up, you know, and, and very disciplined to eat right, to exercise right. And they got this physical man, you know, uh, taking their supplements, drinking their shakes and, you know, staying away from the carbohydrates and, you know, and, um, but we can be so, so focused on the flesh, but how are we with our soul? And, and this is, I really believe, uh, um, a message for all of us tonight, because, you know, we, we don't want to be neglecting that part that is eternal. You know, your, your body is going to die, you know, right. And, um, it will be resurrected, you know, in the end, but, the investment that we need to be make is into our soul. Now your soul, your when you are born again, your spirit comes alive, but your soul is still as carnal as the day it was when you were born. I mean it's it needs to be uh, taught the word of God. It needs to be disciplined with the word of God. It needs to be instructed the word of God. We have to command our soul, just like I was saying earlier, bless the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. I command my soul to bless the Lord. My mind, my will, my emotions do not always feel like uh, being spiritual. They don't always want to act spiritual. And so we have to, uh, you know, discipline that part of our life. And, and then tonight, though, I just want you to see how is, how is the condition of your soul? And um, so I want to I read in, um, in Luke chapter 15. I just want to go ahead and start with verse 1. It says, now tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with, with such sinful people in even eating with them, exclamation. <laughs> so Jesus told them this story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Verse eight, now, or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one's, one, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and her neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, <laughs> he's going to give them three stories. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Now the younger son told his father, 
I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, his son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And all the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me in as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming And filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening for we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. (laughs) Oh, so the party began. Oh, sorry, I'm rephrasing that. (laughs) Let the party begin. Let it, and it began. And, And verse 25 says, now, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what is going on? And they said, your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf and we are celebrating because of his safe return. Now the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. And his father came out and he begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even once gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing your fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. And we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now, this is a great chapter because here we find the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And um, the, the question is, you know, when you, when, you look, when you look at the sheep and you look at the coin and you look at the son, you ask the question, did they know their value? Did the sheep know how valuable it was? Did the coin, the coin obviously isn't going to know how valuable it is. Did the son know how valuable he was? Because we find in all three stories, we find that this, the, in the first part that the shepherd leaves the 99 searching, it says. He's searching for that sheep. And when he finds it, he's so happy. He carries it home on his shoulders. He, he's showing that this, this little sheep has such great value. Did the sheep even know that it had value? How much that, this, that, that it was so loved that it was being searched for? 
And then the coin, simply a, a silver coin that this, this coin was so important to this, to this woman that she's lighting the lamp and she, she's searching for he, her house in her house and she's very carefully searching and she finds it and she calls her neighbors and her friends and she's celebrating, I found my lost coin. Because why? It had value. It was something valuable to her. But we don't really hear from the sheep. None of us speak. <laughs> I can do a good. <laughs> I know I'm good. I'm tight. I can go to a sheep and go. <laughs> it's little ears will go. <laughs> but I don't really understand what the sheep is saying back to me. So I can't really have a discourse with the sheep. I can't obviously communicate with the coin. It's not even alive. But we do have a look at the sun. And when we look at the sun, we see that he actually reveals what he feels about his value. And we find when we, when we are going through this whole passage, we, we find that he's living out with the pigs. And in verse 17, he says, when he finally came to his senses, he says to himself, at home, my hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. So I'll go home to my father. And I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, I don't know if you've ever screwed up. I don't know if you've ever blew it in your walk with Christ. I have. I know how it is to be a prodigal. I've been that prodigal before. And there's something so incredible when I read this passage in that time of my life, when I said the same thing he said, I'm starving. Spiritually, there's nothing in this world that is meeting the need. I need to go home to my father. I need to get back in church. I need to get back with God. I need to have my relationship with God. I, I'm hungry. I'm starving. I don't care if I just go back as a servant. I've got to be in my father's house. And here he says, I'm not worthy to be called a son. You see, when we, when we blow it, when we miss it, when we walk away from our father, we can feel so unworthy to come home. We can feel unworthy and we can feel like we have no value. I, I, I have no value. I've, what fortune I had, I blew it. And now I smell like a pig because I've been living in a pig's pen, taking care of pigs. And the matter of fact, the pigs are eating better than I'm eating. And I, I have no value and I'm not worthy. And, and the son felt to, to no longer feel worthy literally means he felt unsuitable and undeserving to be called a son. But here we find that as he decides and he runs, he goes home we find that he has great value. It wasn't based on the inheritance that he had. It wasn't based on what he did every day like the other son that he, it, did, it wasn't based on works. It wasn't based what you can do for God. Your value is not based on what you offer God. Your value is not based on what you bring to the table. Your value is based on the fact that you are a child of God. And because you are his child, you have great value. 
No matter if you've been living in the pig pen, no matter if you've, if you've wasted your life and you've, you've blown it and you, you just, God, just take me back as a servant. I know I'm not worthy to be called a son. But we go and we see it, and, and I love this because it's the heart of your heavenly father. When it says that in verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Don't you know that the minute that you decide, I gotta go home, and I may be afar off, I've got a long way to go. I've still got a journey ahead of me. I still got some, some sins I've got to get out of my life. I still got some addictions I've got to get out of my life. I've still got some, some things that are, are in my life that the, the, the stinky piggy smell. I've got to get that out of my life. But while I'm on that journey, God sees you a far way off. And what does he do? It says that he ran to his son and he embraced him. He was so filled with love and compassion. That is the love of our father. Because why? His son had great value. This is my son. And he saw him as though he was dead. And now he is alive. I don't care what the enemy tries to tell you. I don't care how bad you've blown it. I don't care how many times you fall on your face. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times. They get up. You just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. Just keep walking towards your father's house. God is running towards you with his love, with his compassion, with his, his arms open wide to bring you in. Why? Because you have great value. Not based on what you bring to the table, not based on what you can do, but because you're his child and he loves you. I remember as a young pastor's wife, you know, those of you, some of you may not know my testimony, Pastor Mark and I, we've only been married six years. We both have a story. You know, his first wife passed away and I walked through difficult, a very difficult life. And, and I was married as a young pastor's wife. I was a pastor's wife before him. And it was not good. It was, it was not a healthy relationship. It was, um, it was, um, it was bad. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And I remember sitting at the piano one time and I was sitting there on the piano and I was so broken inside. And, um, and I was so bruised inside and outside. And I just felt like I had nothing to give. I was just, I was just, I, I just felt like I had to do it though. I had to be at my post. I had to do my work. I had to lead worship and I'm playing the piano. And all of a sudden the presence of God came upon me and I, I had to hold on to the keyboard, the piano and God spoke to me so lovingly, and he said to me, Pam, if you never play me another song, if you never sing to me another song, if you never do another thing for me, it would never change my love for you. And when he said that, I realized that I felt that my love that I got from God was because what I did for him. 
I, I had to do what I was doing so that I felt the love. It was, you know, I'll do this, you love me. I'll do this and you'll love me. But God's, God just, he so showed me my love is not based on what you do for me. If you do nothing for me, I'll still love you. And it's so, it's so, it just broke, it just broke in me. And, and I just, I love, I just loved God. I just fell in love with him even more because I saw a depth that God was putting a value on me as a person, not on what I could, I could do for him. And that should set us free because, um, you know, God just loves me because he loves me. He loves me first. And that's why I can love him. Now, the Bible says um, in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, it, it, it talks about that we're to guard our hearts above all things. Matter of fact, let's, let's just look at that really fast in Proverbs. Because when we're talking about now our soul, I, first of all, I want you to see that you, your soul, who is who you are, your spirit, soul, and body has great value. Why? Because you're the father. And if you get lost... He's going to look for you. Why? Because you have value. You're not forgotten. You're not, you're not like passed up. He's not going, oh, well, they blew it. Okay, let's move on. Let's find somebody else. No, that's not how God is. You have great value. But in, um, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Or out of it flows all the issues of life. Out of your soul, out of that part of you, your mind, your will, your emotions, that, that deep part of who you, who you are, God is saying you've got to guard it. You've got to protect it. Why? Because Satan over here, when we look in Genesis and we see that, that there is Eve and she's having the discourse with the serpent and he's telling her about, you know, oh, you will not surely die. You know, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like God. And it says she looked at the fruit and it looked good and she wanted it to make her wise. What's it appealing to? Her soul. And so I've got to guard my soul because that is the place the enemy's always going to take and bring my attention. And he, and I have to guard it. I have to protect it because if my soul is not healthy, if my soul is unprotected, if my soul is, uh, matter of fact, if my soul is in charge, in charge and not my spirit, man, I'm going to go all kinds of different directions. If my emotions are in charge, I'm going to be up and down. If my will's in charge, that means I'm in control and God is not in control. So, and if my mind's in control, that means my thought life, what I'm thinking is constantly being that which dictates my life. And you know, those are the things where the enemy constantly attacks us. And, um, and God is saying, I want you to guard your soul. I, I said to you earlier that your soul is immortal. It's eternal. If you look back in, in Luke, where we were just at, you know, in Luke chapter 16, you know, you can turn there. Um, we find the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? And, and, and it says that this rich man, he lived splendidly clothed in purple and linen. Um, he lived each day in luxury. 
His flesh was loving it, you know. At the gate, he laid, there laid a poor man. His name was Lazarus, covered with sores. And Lazarus laid there longing for scraps from the rich man's table. And the dogs would come and lick his open sores. And finally, the poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. So how are you investing in your soul? Because your soul is going to be taken somewhere at the end of your life. Here we find that the, that the, poor, or the, the rich man, Lazarus, our rich man, was taken into hell. His soul is taken into hell. And here we find that is a place of torment. But then we find the soul of Lazarus is taken into Abraham's bosom. And there he is comforted. And um, in, in your soul, as, we, as you continue to read this story, you see that the soul that the rich man could see, he could feel, he had memory. And, um, and so your soul goes with you. And, and it's the most valuable thing that you have is who you are inside, not out here. Not, you know, not the focus on, now, do we take care of our bodies? Yes, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should take care of our bodies, but it should not be my focal point. I should be investing in my soul and, and, and protecting it and guarding it because it has great value and it's that which is going to be, which takes me. It's, it's, the, it's the key that either takes me up or that's the key that's gonna take me down. And, um, you know, there's some other things I, I, I want you to, that the Holy Spirit brought to my attention tonight. And, and so I know this is for some of you tonight. First of all, is your soul in torment? Turn with me to Mark chapter, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter two. Is your soul, are you tormenting your own soul? Now you may say, no idiot is going to torment their own soul. <laughs> you know, no one, no fool is going to just torment themselves with an intention. But look at this in Second Peter. I think there's a real revelation in this. It's um, talking about Lot. And it says, um, let's start in verse, in verse 6. Second uh, Peter chapter two, verse six. Later, it says, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and he turned them into heaps of ashes. You guys remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Wicked cities. Can you think of some of the things that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? I just want you to get that in your head, what Sodom and Gomorrah is. Okay. He made, so he made an example of what will happen to ungodly people. Verse seven. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Now notice verse eight. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and he heard day after day. Now, he was sitting, um, some people believe he was a judge of the city, so he sat in the city gates and he heard, you know, all the different things that were transpiring in the city. I mean, you didn't have to step very far in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, remember the story of Lot when the two angels came and the men of the city tried to take the, to the two angels who were, who were masculine and they wanted, you know, to... Um, to attack them sexually, you know, so we're talking, we're seeing that there was a, a homosexual agenda going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's where we get the word Sodom. And here we see that, you know, you don't have to look too far 
to see the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says that, that his righteous soul, the, in the King James, it says his righteous soul was vexed by the things he's heard and seen day after day. Now, we don't have to go very far to see in the world today. But what I want to, to bring to you, church, tonight is what are you watching? What are you listening to that is wicked and evil? And you think, eh, it's not real. It's just Hollywood. You know, I believe that when we watch things on the screen, even though it's Hollywood and it's acting, it's still evil and vile, abominable, it, you know, that you're still vexing your righteous soul. You're tormenting your own soul by what you're watching and what you're listening to. And again, this, is, this has great value. Why would you want to torment your own soul? So I, I, know, I know people that love scary movies. And they'll watch these horror movies. And, you know, I, I don't need to live in fear. I don't need to get the thrill of watching a, a scary movie. I don't want to vex my righteous soul. I don't need to have fear. I mean, I have God, had God deliver me from real fears, right? From real demonic things. I certainly don't need to watch on the screen, you know, and have fear rise up in me. You need to guard what you're watching, guard what you're listening to, you know, and, um, you know, and, and then these same, these same people I know, you know, they have, they have a lot of fear. Well, I wonder why they have a lot of fear. You know, they have a lot of unfaith. They have a lot of doubt, a lot of insecurities, just mainly fear. And it's like, it's because they're, they're tormenting their own soul. And so guard what you watch, guard what you're listening to, guard what you're reading, guard what you're, I mean, even the news even more. I mean, you know, or, or flipping through Facebook. I mean, there's just, there's just things now. I mean, come on, the Grammys, right? I mean, I didn't have to watch the Grammys just to see the picture and know that I don't need to vex my righteous soul. I don't need to see what this guy is doing on, um, in this Grammys to know that what he's doing is an abominable and it's horrible and I, I don't need to watch it. I don't need to see Lady Gaga's greatest, you know, disgusting move that she's doing. You know, she's doing some sick stuff. I don't need to go watch it and go, ooh, I don't need to vex my righteous soul. And, you know, so I'm going to guard my soul. Why? Because it has great value and it will affect the way that I live. If I don't guard my soul, then I'm going to be my mind, my will, my emotions. Everything's going to get, you know, affected by what I'm allowing into my heart. I've got to protect it. I am the guardian of my own soul. You're the guardian of your own soul. You will be the one that stands before God and give an account for your life. Not Pastor Mark, not your dad, not your mom, not your grandparents, but we each will have to stand before God ourselves and give an account for how, what we did with our life. Amen? So um, other ways that we can torment our souls, look in Matthew chapter 18. And um, Matthew chapter 18 is a huge one. And this is one that we have to be so, so guarded against. And, um, and it's the story of the unforgiving debtor. So Matthew 18, verse 21 says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? <laughs> Peter's thinking, hey, I can forgive him seven times. 
And Jesus replies, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And um, now let me bring in a balance to this. That is not a perpetual number. That does not mean someone keeps sinning against me and and I just keep getting kicked in the seat with their boots. There is an in. 70 times seven is a number. It means that, yes, I'm giving them time to change. I'm giving them time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep believing that, okay, they're going to change. They're going to change. I'm going to believe they're going to, I'm going to give them grace. I'm going to show them grace. But there does come a time where you have to say, I'm not going to be kicked in the seat of pants, in my, in my seat of my pants anymore by this person. I'm going to protect myself. So I'm going to bring balance to this, okay? Um, because a lot of people in, in, in bad marriages, you know, or bad real, toxic relationships, you think, that as a Christian, they'll say, oh, you got to forgive me. Yes, I do. But that doesn't mean that you keep abusing me either. <laughs> can I get an amen? Um, so verse 23, now, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars and he couldn't pay it. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debts. But the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay all of it. Then the master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave him his debt. Key word, two words, he released him, released him. Verse 28, 28, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and he begged him for a little more time, be patient with me and I will, pay, I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait and he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt but you pleaded that you pleaded with me and shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you and then the angry man the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt that's what my father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your where your heart that soul and so and, and here's the thing that I, I want to bring out of this a couple things is that when you forgive, there's a release of the debt. I'm releasing you of what you owe me. And I know in my life, I've actually had to make a list of, I thought what people owed me, they owed me an apology. Maybe they owed me money. Maybe, I don't know, whatever they owed me, I made me a physical list. And the Lord had taken me to this because if you have unforgiveness in your soul, in your heart, who's the person that's in prison being tortured? you. And so if you're suffering with grief and depression and anger, anger that keeps rising up, it's because there's some unforgiveness. There's someone you haven't released the debt from. And so I, I, I'll give you the key to doing that is you make a list. This is everybody that owes you something. And then I remember hearing a minister say that the blood of Jesus is not only powerful enough to forgive you of your sins, but the sins committed against you. And I thought, man, that's powerful because you know, sometimes people do things in your life and maybe they die and they never 
asked you for forgive you to get forgiveness or or maybe you never see them or maybe you maybe it's just never going to happen that that they're never going to tell you that they forgive you they're never going to make it right but there is Jesus the one who can pay the debt for them I mean, I want you to grasp that. No matter what someone has done against you, no matter what offense, no matter what hurt, they, you know, and even, and I've been here too, even if they say they're sorry, it just doesn't go down deep into that pain where they inflicted and hurt you. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. There's nothing that can say that really goes down to that broken place that broke you and hurt you except for Jesus the blood of Jesus. And so when you're going through that list, you say, Lord, I thank you. I release them of that debt. I put them under the blood of Jesus and Jesus, you pay it in full. They are released from owing me anything. And you just go through that each name and allow the Holy Spirit to show you because why? Because my soul has great value. It doesn't matter. They're not the point. They're not, it's not about them. It's about me. I don't want to be in prison, in torment and suffering. I want my soul to be free because it has great value. Amen. Well, there's, there's a, there's some more, but I want, I'm going to end in, um, in, let me see if I want to end in this one or not. <laughs> it's not that I'm going to go to another one, but. Um, let's see. Just want to see if I want to read that. Psalm 77. Oh yeah, yeah. I do want to, I do want to end in this one. Okay. Listen to what this Psalm says as I, I'm going to end with this. It says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. And oh, that God would listen to me for when I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord and all night and uh, long I prayed and I, with hands lifted up towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan and I'm overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep and I'm too distressed even to pray. And so I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs and I search my soul and I ponder the difference now. And he says this, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Is his promise permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The most high has turned his hand against me. Now that would be a very truthful, is, it, is that not a truthful, I'm sorry, but that's a pretty truthful statement. If you've gone and lived long enough in life, it seems sometimes you're laying in bed and you're going through stuff and you're thinking, God, where are you? Did you forget my address? Did you forget my phone number? Did you forget my email? <laughs> and, and then your soul begins, to, your, your mind, your will, your emotions begins to think about things. You, I mean, and that's the worst when you start thinking about the good old days, how it used to be. And sometimes we think about the good old days when really the good old days weren't really that good. But our mind's going back and thinking of good old days and we're comparing it to where we are now. And what happens whenever you do the comparison thing, it's tormenting your soul. Again, you're just like, oh, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? And if we left it at that, that would just be, that would be where the world is today. But look what the writer says. But in verse 11, but then I recall. 
Now here's where he's taking power of his soul. He's taking the memory, he's taking the memory mechanism in his mind and he's bringing back now, a re- he's remembering something. I'm going to remember this, okay? My mind's remembering this, but now I'm going to remember this truth. And what does he remember? I remember all that you have done, O Lord. I remember how wonderful your deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts and I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations and by your strong arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Do you see what he just did? He took the, 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 the mind that's, that's starting to reel the, the, you know, all the junk he's bringing up from the past, all the stuff that's beginning to make his soul become depressed and discouraged and, and weigh heavily and his mind's just going, and all of a sudden he goes, wait, I'm taking control and I'm going to recall, no, God is wonderful. God is faithful. God, you're in, you're, I'm going to put you in my thoughts. That's why when I say, when I say it's time to worship, I'll say, you know what? Set your mind on things above. Change your focus where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Amen. I got to stop because it's three minutes after. I'm sorry, folks. Goodness, close that Bible. Give me talk. You didn't wave a wallet at me, brother. <laughs> Everybody's waving wallets at me. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, take a, take a hold of your soul. You know, guard it, protect it. Know that you have value because you're loved by God and, um, and take the reins of it. Amen. Father, we just thank you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us just because you love us. I thank you. I don't have to do anything to earn your love. You love me because I'm your child. And God, I thank you that Lord tonight, you're just, you're speaking to us like a heavenly father, like a shepherd. And you want us to pay attention to guard our hearts, to guard what we're listening to, guard what we're watching. God, protect us uh, that we're to guard how we're speaking, guard how we're thinking. And Father, I pray that anything that's in our life that is just tormenting us, God, that you would show us. And, and I thank you because you're the God of all deliverance and your blood sets us free. And God, I thank you. You want your people free. So God, we love you. We honor you. We thank you that this word will just continue to speak and work in each heart, even as we leave, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. All right, well, we're going to take tonight's offering, Tyson offering, so you can um, do on your phone and um, or in the envelope. I'm so, this is my insecure moment. (laughs) I'm not really good at this part. And um, get your offering ready. I do love that. I don't have anything in my hand. Oh man. But um, get your seed. Matter of fact, let's just all stand. You've been sitting long enough, right? Let's get get your seed ready to sow and, um, and fuck. Did someone go, whoa, over here? (laughs) <laughs> Whoa, she's got to sow some seed. <laughs> I like it. No. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you, are our, you supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. God, you are the one who, who will meet every need that we have. God, you said to, give, to bring our first fruits to you. And I thank you, God, that we give you of the first of our fruits and you promise to bless it and multiply it, Father. So we thank you for that, for meeting and supplying all the needs at Harvest Bible Church. And God, in turn, you're supplying and meeting all the needs of every sower in this room. And Father, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Sow that seed in faith. Amen. Um, I don't know if there's any announcements. Yeah, that's her part. That's your part. <laughs> yeah, next Thursday, 55 Plus is going to see Jesus Revolution. Oh, and don't forget to sign up. She wants you to sign up. But anyway, God bless you. Thanks for coming tonight. I'll see you. We, we will see you on Sunday. God bless you, everyone who focused in tonight online too. God bless you.